If you were able to walk into a room confident that you would be well-received, seen, heard, and appreciated by others, and all it took was a few changes in how you navigate your everyday relationships, would you be willing to make those changes? It is possible to be both fully authentic and to experience the best relationships of your life. Now, here's the host of Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert, Mickey Gaffin-Stone. Welcome, everyone. Everyone tuning in live, all of you who are checking out the recording later. I'm Mickey Gaffin-Stone, your host of Navigating Complicated Relationships here on the Inspired Choices Network. And today's topic is a big one. It's anxious kids, anxious parents. Now, as a board certified behavior analyst, I've worked with both anxious kids and anxious parents uh, a lot. And I've also been a teacher. Um, I do human design where people come with anxiety about things, which is usually a sign that they're out of condition. You know, I come across it in a lot of aspects in life and in my own life too, right? We all have those kinds of experiences. So you can find me on Facebook. You can find me at gaffinstone.com and you can email me at mickey at gaffinstone.com. So anxious kids, anxious parents. Kids learn their coping skills from their parents. That's they learn it not from what you say, but from what you do. So it's important to have a look at what your behaviors are and when, when, when it hits the fan, you know, when things go south and there's a lot of stress going on, what does that look like? What, what do you do with that? What, what's your response? So it's not intentional that, you know, parents model this for their kids. It's simply what humans do. It's how we learn. So kids will see how you respond under pressure and they'll do the same. So do you think you're an anxious parent? Today's episode of complicating, complicated, <laughs> oh, navigating complicated relationships and complicated sentences will explore this and look at parenting sty styles, how to adapt yours and how to work with the child you have. So human design is a key piece here in understanding where anxiety can come in for your child because this is a sign of conditioning and also understanding your own anxiety. So today's topic, how many of you have experienced anxiety in the past, right? Maybe in the past year. Anxiety, briefly, is a response to a situation. It's like excitement only negative. Excitement itself is positive, right? You anticipate something good. If you're sort of feeling the nervousness and, and worry about something, then that comes up as anxiety. That's not the same as having a long-term issue where your normal approach to things is from that negative lens, that sort of anxiety piece. So how many of your kids have been experiencing anxiety this last year or two? You know, post-COVID, an awful lot of people have been well, you know, we've, we all had life change and not everybody liked that very much. Not everybody did well with that. And for kids, school was disrupted. It was stopped. You know, their social interactions were messed up. And now they suddenly thrown back into school. And what, what do they do with that? You know, a lot of anxiety comes up. So 
anxiety is negative feelings and thoughts about things that haven't yet happened or you're not quite clear on the outcome yet. And what happens in that situation is our brains make up stories to fill that gap. It's unknown information and we don't do well with space. We need to have certainty. You know, that's, that's what our brains are designed for. So if you don't have the information, you'll fill it in. And we, we're naturally designed to look for negative first because that keeps us safe. You know, millennia ago, we would have to look out for the, the bear that's going to come and eat you or, you know, something dangerous. So your, your brain is wired to look for the negative thing in order to keep you safe. We're still doing that, even though we no longer have to watch out for saber-toothed tigers. So how do you model your response to coping skills? You know, your response to an anxiety-provoking situation. What are your coping skills? That's what I'm trying to say. My mouth really isn't working today. So if you have a very fast response and you show stress, you, you may verbalize your stress, showing anger, frustration, that kind of thing, then your child picks up on that. And that's okay, but can your child express that as well? As children, if you think back to your own childhood, we often weren't very safe to express anger and frustration because our parents didn't know what to do with that and it's uncomfortable. You know, if your child's like losing it, it's it's not a very comfortable place. You have to deal with their stuff plus yours. And if you're in public, then you've got other people's responses. So how did you handle it when you were a child? Did you have to, have to stuff it down? And how does your child handle it now? So when anxiety comes up, we're going to express an emotion of some sort. And depending on your human design type, that could be Anger, for example, if you are a manifester, if you're a manifesting generator, chances are you have anger, you have frustration, you have a little of each going on. Generators will have frustration and projectors will have bitterness. Reflectors, all 1% of you, will be disappointed. And this is, you know, it, it's, it's a natural expression, but can you express it safely? Can you express it in a way that's functional? And these are things for you to get that notepad that hopefully you've had for the last few weeks and write, write down some notes for yourself. Like what comes to mind when you think of anxiety? What do you do with it? How do you express it? What behaviors do you show? And what behaviors of your child, your child or your children learned when they express anxiety. Are they shut down? No, 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 don't feel that way. No, 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 it's okay, everything's fine. You know, that kind of response is instinctive on the part of the parent. It's very natural to want your child not to feel so sort of upset and, and out of sorts. So you want them to not feel that way, but the human experience is to feel that way. And we've all been raised to stuff that down. But let me just go through a few things to explain what happens when you do stuff it down. So if you have anger, like a manifester, then what often happens is that anger gets internalized. It becomes, you know, I can't express it, so I'm going to hold it in. 
And that turns to a sort of self-criticism and later self-sabotage. So that is sort of anger turned inward. Frustration can become a wrongness. You know, the parent response to the frustration makes that feel like, you know, you have to be patient. Don't be so, you know, in a hurry and sort of don't do that is the overlying message. And that turns the concept of patience into a punishment, if you think about it, right? Like, you have to be patient. It's sort of like you have to sit in the corner. It, it feels like something that you have to do because you're wrong. And that in itself sets up a whole series of unhelpful learnings because patience is the generator's best friend. It's how you operate. You know, you need patience so that you don't jump in and say yes to too many things. So those kind of things are important to know about yourself and your child. Knowing your human design can help. Now, when, if you have a projector, projectors may have a story from their childhood where their parents told them they had an attitude problem because a projector is likely to go into bitterness when they're sort of stuffing down the emotions. And that can sound sarcastic. And parents don't like sarcasm. That is then made to mean, oh, you're being rude to me. This is not helpful. You're not listening to me. And a whole lot of story comes up, right? Because we don't understand what's happening. And then for the reflector, that 1% of you who have none of your um, energy centers defined, that disappointment that you feel when things don't go right and, and you're anxious, but you get shut down, that whole disappointment piece can turn into a victim mentality where things are being done to you and you don't have control. So that's any one of these things really can also turn you into a people pleaser, right? Because when you're made to feel wrong about something by those big people who are there to look after you, as a child, your safety is in those big people around you. They're going to keep you safe from the saber-toothed tiger. So you need to please them. You need to have them not throw you out of the group. And people pleasing can come up from this. You know, oh, don't mind me. I'm just going to, you know, be quiet over here. And you make a decision about that too. If I'm anxious, then, you know, my parent gets upset. So I better keep quiet and hide over here. Hmm, how does that show up later in life? Limiting beliefs, anyone? So that's, that's where it's really helpful to know your human design, to learn how you operate and how those around you operate, whether it's your partner or your parent or your kids, or even all of them. You know, that's, that can be very helpful too. And there's a lot of interactions that go on between the charts. Um, I have worked with a couple who the male was a manifester and his spouse was a projector. And they had a lot of collisions in their marriage because they didn't understand how the other one needed to express and where their anxieties might come in. One was very fearful about money and not having money and what did that mean? And the other one was fearful about not having the loving attention that they felt should be, you know, part of the, the marriage deal. And so they're on different wavelengths and expressing their 
sort of experience differently, not understanding the other. So that in itself can be anxiety provoking. Now, I do have some questions that people wrote in for me, which is great. And I'll start on one now, but there's going to be a long answer to it. So we'll take a break after a little bit of this. So someone called Mike asks, how are anxious attachments formed? What characterizes anxious attachments and what results do they produce? So you can see why this is going to take more than a minute, right? It's, <laughs> it's a very big topic and it's a really good one because some people have anxious attachments and they don't even realize it. So let me just say that anxious attachments form when the child has experienced some form of abandonment or they feel that they have. It's the action itself is not so much the important piece. It's how the child perceives it, right? So it's a learned behavior. Anxious attachment is not something you're born with. It's something you learn. And I'm going to say one of the first places that a child learns it is there was a fashion for a while, um, a belief, if you will, that letting the baby cry it out is the way to go and you should just leave your child in the crib to cry. Well, that would be the first abandonment abandonment that that child experiences and if you think they don't remember it well consciously no probably not subconsciously yes absolutely you remember everything because it's all embodied so this is it's, it's important to look for these things now no parent's going to get it perfectly we're not here to be perfect we're here to learn so none of this is about um, blame or guilt or any of those things. And after the break, I'm going to explain more about blame and guilt because this is important not, not to go there. It's a rabbit hole and it's not a healthy rabbit hole. So please don't do that thing to yourself. And we'll go into what anxious ambivalent behavior is and we'll move on from there. So if you have any questions, let me know. And meanwhile, I will see you very shortly. Don't go away. We're here navigating complicated relationships, and we'll be back in a moment. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Mickey Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. 
This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to mickey at gaffinstone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I'm delighted you're still here. You're listening to me, Mickey Gaffinstone, your host of the Inspired Choices Network show, Navigating Complicated Relationships. It's sometimes a complicated sentence, too. So before the break, we were talking about the difference between anxiety, which is the negative feelings and thoughts of things that haven't happened yet or they're not, the outcome isn't clear yet. And that can be a one-time thing like, oh, hey, I have a show coming up. I'm feeling anxious about this. That's one type of thing. But anxiety is a longer-term situation. That's something where you approach life from a place of, oh, no, what's going to happen today? I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. It's a, a big sort of negative lens to look at the world through. And we're looking at anxious attachments right now and how they're learned and what they look like. It's important to note that, first of all, this is not therapy. I'm not giving you therapeutic advice. I'm explaining what it is, what it looks like, and giving you some suggestions. If you feel you need therapy, please go get some therapy. That's always a good idea if you can find a good therapist. So the first behavior we're looking at is anxious, ambivalent attachment. And that person is likely to have had inconsistent parenting, um, particularly when it comes to meeting their emotional needs. For example, not knowing when those needs are gonna be met and when they're gonna be neglected can cause a deep insecurity. Um, an example where I've actually seen these things happening in real time are kindergarten and preschool, where, or even daycare actually, where the parent will take the child, child's crying, you know, they're throwing a major fit. No, don't leave me, my heart's breaking. And, and the parent really is feeling terrible about putting their child in here. Child goes inside, starts to play, and this is where things go south. The parent says, oh, child's happy. I'm going to sneak off while they're busy. And if you haven't done that yet, please don't, because the child is distracted and they're busy. Yes, they're happy right now. But as soon as they realize you've gone, there's a sense of abandonment because they didn't know you were leaving. And that brings up all kinds of fear for the child. They don't know, well, when's my parent going to do that another time? They have no frame of reference for this. So for the child, they, they just think this could happen at any given time. They don't realize that the parent was, you know, feeling cut up about the kid being here and, and didn't want to have them cry again, right? Like this is the parent's discomfort overriding any sort of clear thinking about what to do next and how to move forward. So if you have young kids, stick it out, just stay with them, let them know you're going so that they don't get that sense of abandonment. Because when a child has experienced that, chances are what you see at home is they're very clingy. You can't go to the bathroom without the kid hanging onto your ankles. This is because they don't know if you're coming out again. They don't know what you're gonna do next. So that's how it shows up for the child. And they can also increase their behaviors 
their sort of annoying behaviors to get your attention because they want to make sure you're still there, right? I still have your attention. You're still with me. What happens if I do this? You know, and they're going to prod and poke and you get all of these experiences that you wonder what happened. Why is this child behaving like this? Well, because they're afraid you're going to up and leave them. So it doesn't have to make sense to the adult. The point is, this is what the child's making it mean, because that's how much experience they have of the world and what their, you know, what their bandwidth allows for. So as an adult, this can show up as needing your partner or your friend, and it can be a pretty intense situation. It's, you know, someone who texts and phones all the time. Where are you now? What are you doing? Where are you going? You know, these kind of questions. This is actually an anxious attachment and the anxiety levels can become pretty overwhelming. If even if the, the relationship has a history of being secure, the anxiously attached person always has this little thing in the back of their mind, like maybe it is provoked by an argument or even just a, a difference of opinion doesn't have to be a full blown argument. That person, that little thing in the back of their mind can be triggered into, oh, maybe they're going to leave me now. You know, they could leave me and they could leave me when I don't expect it. It's a trigger that's always there and it could go a long time without being switched, but it will be there. It's, it's a sort of adult version of clinging. So this is your inner child trying to get their needs met as an adult. It's not a conscious thing. Now, anxious ambivalent will often show up as you want to get really close, but then you pull away. But then you get really close, but then you pull away. And you may push your partner away before they get a chance to do that to you. It's one of those behaviors where you're trying to save yourself from the hurt. So you push them away. And it's very confusing for the partner of somebody who has this kind of anxious attachment. It reflects the childhood experiences. So you may become clingy when any sort of separation is hinted at. You know, oh, you're going away on a business trip. Ah, <laughs> you know, big, big panic and, and erratic behavior can come up because that person feels unsafe and insecure. So this is sometimes this happens with the best of parents with their kids. You, you don't mean to leave them. Maybe something happened and you had to run out of the house for something. You know, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The point is to discover what it is and how to now deal with it moving forward. So just to recap someone with anxious ambivalent attachments are going to be very clingy and they may push away before they cling again. This person's gonna need constant reassurance. They may complain that, you know, you're not affectionate enough. Well, you're too affectionate. No, not enough, too much. And it can be very difficult to navigate. The partner can end up feeling like they have to walk on eggshells and that's, not, not a healthy response. So if you find that you're in this situation, this would be a good time to get some therapy, get some help for working through those feelings of abandonment and the concern that it may happen again, the anxiety that that may happen again. 
This person can also be overly sensitive to triggers. The partner forgets to call and, well, he always calls at 10 o'clock. Why don't I have a phone call? What's happening? You know, and then all the negative scenarios play out in the head and you end up with this massive ball of anxiety because someone got busy and forgot to call. So you may be anxious, ambivalent if you have a needy sort of approach to your friends and, and partner and a low self-esteem. You can be hyper-focused on the thought of being rejected. And when that's triggered, you're going to be even closer to the person because you, you're sort of like wanting to hold on to them really, really tightly, you know, like hanging onto a balloon that you don't want to have fly off. But I think most of us know that, you know, if you hold on to something too tightly, it, it doesn't work. It has the opposite effect. There's actually an African proverb that says power is like an egg. If you hold it too tightly, you'll crush it and lose it. If you hold it too loosely, you'll drop it and it breaks. You have to hold it just so. So another type is another type of anxious attachment is anxious avoidant. And that's um, a rejection of a fear of rejection, sorry. And that person will, they might not be conscious that they fear rejection, but they'll they'll always hold back a little bit. They're sort of not going to get into a deep connection with someone and may change partners fairly frequently to avoid deep connection. They may tell themselves all kinds of stories about why they do that, but the, the reality is they don't feel safe to connect deeply. And they might not be able to access those emotions. They might be so well hidden from childhood that, you know, for fear of being exposed and hurt, they're going to just stuff them down. They may want a partner and they may push that partner away at the same time. Parents probably weren't around very much for this person. And I'm just going to say hello to all the Gen Xers out there because this was probably your experience. And I, I just want to explain for the generations because guilt and blame is important to not do, right? We don't want to point backwards and say, it's my parents' fault. They may have done things that you responded to in this way, but they're human. So the boomer generation, so-called boomer generation, they were raised by parents who experienced a lot of lack and a lot of fear. There was the depression, there was the war, there was a whole lot of just terrible things happening that would cause lack and fear. So that boomer generation were raised by people under these conditions. So the boomers grew up with a priority of, we have to make money. We have to have a house. We need money. Money is important. We need food in the fridge. No lack in this household. And now both parents were starting to work. And so they didn't really understand that the kids needed a lot of attention because they're growing human beings. What they see through their lens is we got to have money, we got to have food. Then you have Gen X who basically raised themselves because boomers were busy making money for food and there's no guidelines. So as a Gen Xer, what are you going to do? <laughs> you figure it out. You test it, you mess around and you find out. And some things worked well enough 
that you were able to sort of incorporate them, but were they ideal? Probably not, right? And then this group of Gen Xers who had minimal support really, and probably didn't even realize that everybody else was experiencing the same kind of thing, they then have kids. You've got, we'll say millennials right next. And, and the millennials, they have a different sort of attachment style because the Gen Xers, some of them are going to say, oh, I don't want you to feel that you're not getting attention. I don't want you to feel neglected. Here, have a participation trophy. Here, have another one. And that backfired too. Millennials didn't like that either. It, it didn't help their self-esteem, but Gen Xers didn't know. So just from that sort of breakdown, you can look at each generation and say, well, we all come with what we've learned and none of it was ideal, but you do what you can with what you have. And so bear that in mind when you're looking at all the things that you can recall and considering the things you can't recall that have perhaps given rise to anxious attachment. This is something that you as a child embodied and your parents, I doubt that they did it deliberately, honestly. Nobody makes intentionally, nobody makes a bad choice. You make the best choice you can where you are, right? You don't stop and say, hey, I'm going to make a bad decision right now. That's, that's not usual. So bear that in mind and, and give your parents some grace just as you give yourself some grace. We're going to go more into this after the break, but I've been talking, talking, and we're here for another break. Ooh, I hope we get through everything today. Don't go away. You are listening to me, Mickey Gaffin-Stone, Navigating Complicated Anxiety Relationships on the Inspired Choices Network, and we will be back in a minute. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Mickey Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also send an email to Mickey at GaffinStone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Mickey Gaffin-Stone. And if you'd like to contact me, you can find me on my virtual happy space, which is 
www.gaffinstone.com or you can email me at mickey at gaffinstone.com. Gaffin has two Fs. Or you can find me, social media. Nobody else has that name, so I'm easy to locate in Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, any of those places. So please do contact me with any questions you have, any thoughts you have. And if you want any help with this, because I use human design to discover where everybody is energetically and how they relate to each other. And then from there, we can go into a coaching journey to undo a lot of things like the anxious attachment fallout, if you will. Now, someone in chat mentioned that they could see how anxious, avoidant and anxious, ambivalent people could trigger each other. Absolutely. That can create codependence. One person needs support. The other one needs to be supported. There's a push pull going on. And this can build to the degree that the person who's doing the support most of the time has no alone time. And they might feel that they're not truly loved. Like there's a lot of literally complicated relationships can come out from this. And it all relates to childhood. It truly does. But again, no blame because blame just takes away your power. It focuses your energy on finding fault somewhere. And whether you're finding fault with yourself or with someone else, it's wildly unhelpful. Because while you're busy putting all your energy there, your energy is being used up and you can't take action. You can't improve things for yourself. So really, if you find that you blame people a lot, bring that energy back into yourself and let's have a look at how you can use it to do better for yourself and how you can help your kids. Cycle breaking is a very real thing and it's, it's a big task. It's huge. And we can each do a little bit. Some of us can do more than others. It depends on when you start, how long you've got, a great many things. But think of your timeline like this to explain how these things can happen. If your timeline is a straight horizontal line across a page, you can draw it if you like. And on the far left, you have birth and you have before birth, you have all the ancestral stuff. And then toward the right, you have the trajectory of your life and your end goal, the, what do you want out of life, your purpose. Now you have a view as you start on this journey and you're you know, toddling along, doing your thing, and then you experience something that says to you, oh, hey, if you don't hold on tightly, you're gonna lose things. And that child receives that message and makes a decision. This is the important part that you might not have heard before. But that child makes a decision from the place of a child's mind. Hmm, I'd better hold on tightly to everything so that I don't lose it. Now, you put on like a lens, if you will, to look through. You're looking through that lens of I have to hold on tightly. So you can step out of that original timeline because you just created a new one looking through those lenses. Now, another thing happens your teachers say that you talk too much and you disrupt the class, so you have to be quiet. And this is a message that's repeated in a lot of places. That child receives that message and says, hmm, I talk too much, I'm too loud, I'd better be quiet, I'd better be small. Okay, you just put another layer of lenses over the lenses, step out of your timeline again, you just created a new one. 
Now it's getting a little foggy, right? The original lens, the original timeline doesn't look the same anymore. And you can repeat this for all the things that you learned. Where were you too much? Where were you too little? Were you too lazy? Were you too noisy? All these things that begin with you were too much. These are conditioning and these each are responsible for a sort of layer of lens. So you end up looking through a kaleidoscope trying to see your way on your timeline. It looks very different each time because the meanings you give to things change. And when a lot of those lenses are, when, when a lot of those lenses are negative, then you're going to have an increasingly negative view. So this is just something to be aware of so you can understand where it's coming from. So how to help with that? The first thing I would say, if, if you're not in a position to go for therapy or you're not already doing therapy, then have a look at your human design. In fact, have a look at it anyway. It's still good to know. And this will give you an awareness and an understanding of where you are and where the layers of conditioning are. You can do work to sort of reclaim that inner child, if you will. So if you do go the therapy route, that's great, but try and find yourself a therapist that doesn't want to keep going over old stories. Because here's the other thing, the more you focus on the thing you don't want, the more it comes up and the more you'll get more of those kind of experiences. You get what you focus on. You know, if you buy a red car, for example, you're gonna suddenly see red cars everywhere. This is, Technically, it's called the reticular activating system. It's part of your brain that says, oh, you want to focus on this? Sure. Let me give you more of that. So if you're focusing on things that cause anxiety or that you feel anxiety about, you'll find more of those. So an awareness that something happened. Sure, this is good. But then what are you doing with it? That's the thing that you really need to focus on now. And even more importantly, where do you want to be? Who do you want to be? And how do you want to be? The human design journey can really help you to uncover that, to unravel it, and to sort of plot out your pathway, plot out your new timeline, if you will. You can draw your own lines. So I have another question, and this one is from Heidi, who asks, do you have any practical steps parents can follow to start trusting and empowering their kids? This is a fabulous question. I love it. You can't ask it often enough, honestly. The, the short answer is start wherever you are now and whatever age your children are at. And I'm just going to go through from littles on up. So one of the things to do is to help your child make their own decisions because that's, that's at the root of it all, right? So when they're little, that can look like, do you want to wear the red T-shirt or the blue T-shirt? Do you want to have your book before a bath or after a bath? So you're giving them choices that you're happy either way, but the child gets to decide something. So they learn what, that looks like you know they learn oh I chose to have my book before the bath but I kind of like it better the other way around mm, didn't like that decision you know they're learning something and as they get older you can give them more and more 
things to decide. And along with that, you give them tools to be successful. So, for example, I came across someone who asked their seven-year-old to clean up their room, you know, pick up their room, put things away. And her husband said, I'll go help. And half an hour later, they hadn't gotten anywhere. So there was a lot of confusion as to why this wasn't happening. And it turned out that neither of them, the adult as well, had ever been taught how to tidy up a room, particularly a very messy one. And there is a structure to this. So in behavior analysis, what we do is something called a task analysis, which is where you break down the whole task, if you will, into small pieces. And what that can look like for this sort of thing, we'll, we'll use the example of picking up the room. Um, using that example, you can sort of either draw or write out a timeline of, first of all, you pick up the trucks, put them in the box. Then you pick up the trains and put those in the drawer. You know, and, and you list it in order so that it becomes easier to do and they have success. Success gives momentum and then the person wants more success. So that's a good way to start with littles, teach them how to be successful. For middle kids, middle-aged, you know, middle-aged kids, that sounded weird, but for middle kids, you can give them some more responsibility. Pack your school bag, give them some help on how to do that. What kind of things do they need to put in it? Do they want um, a, a chart to tick? Do they want, I don't know, um, a reminder on their phone? Like, what does your child want? How does it work in your household? Give them some choices and some tools to be successful with. Because behavioral momentum, which is also a thing in a behavior analysis, behavioral momentum breeds success, and that's when motivation kicks in. So you start with lots of small successes, the brain gets a lot of dopamine hits and then says, oh, I want more of that. What do we do next? Right. And that's when that kicks in. So helping a child to be successful is a great way of reducing anxiety and avoiding the whole sort of onset of anxious thinking because they're already having success. They're already building confidence. So what kind of decisions can you allow them to have that, you know, might be a little out of your comfort zone, but it's not dangerous? Like, does your child want blue hair? Is that a problem? Like, if they'll get kicked out of school, maybe it's a problem. But if they won't, can you allow them to try that out now? It's, it's better, I think, to try it younger than when they're older. Can they choose dinner from some options? Can you ask their help? Like, where can you bring them in so that they're a part of the contribution to the, the decision-making in the family? And remember that, you know, your child is not there to be the maid. They're not there to clean up the house. I've seen some places um, as a behavior analyst where it got a little over the top with the kid doing all the housework and the adults not doing any. I, th I think that can be problematic, but that's for your household. Um, just remember what kind of attachment you may be creating with that. And then finally, we have teens. And this is my favorite group. I love working with teens because they're adults in training. And this is the place where you can see the impact that you're having. 
and remember all the way through childhood, it's not what you say, it's what you do. That's where the child is learning. So a tactic or a strategy, if you will, for your team is be curious. Always be curious. Instead of jumping in with your solutions or, no, you can't do that, you have to do this, ask them, you know, find out what they see the situation as. What, what do they think? What are their decisions? How do they see their options? Ask a lot of questions and be prepared for some answers that you didn't think of. We're going to get more into curiosity because can you believe it? We're here for another break. So I don't have a lot of time to get through all this today, but we'll do our best. So please don't go anywhere. I'm going to adjust my chair during the break because it fell down. And we will be back with navigating complicated relationships in just a moment. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, Tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Mickey Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also send an email to Mickey at GaffinStone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for hanging on and being here with me, Navigating Complicated Relationships. You can find me at over 450 platforms, which is incredible, is it not? And we're streaming live and there's podcasts. There's all kinds of ways you can receive this information. And there's all kinds of ways you can contact me and get more. You can work with me directly and we can do intensives, which means if you have something that you want to work on in two or three hours, we can do that and really focus in very closely. This is a new thing I'm offering. And there's the longer coaching program where if you really want to change your trajectory, you want to change that timeline to reach the vision that you have, then we can work on that and get you running in the direction you'd like to go in. So a lot of possibilities. And remember, you can find me at my website, gaffinstone.com, or email me, mickey at gaffinstone.com. So for your teens, put your agenda away and realize that what they want to do is not necessarily, in fact, probably not what you want them to do. And you have no idea of knowing what they're fully capable of, but you can trust that they're capable and you can trust what you have taught them so far. What have you, have you given them the tools to be an adult? Probably so. If you haven't, what parts can you give them now if they've never cooked a meal? Now's a great time to learn. You know, if they don't know how to clean up their room, now is a great time to learn so they don't have to do it when they're an adult with a seven-year-old. You know, it's never too late. You can always bring in these skills. But when I say what are they capable, capable of, sometimes we get told stories 
like the teachers may give you a viewpoint of, oh, your child's no good at this, they can only do that. And I'd like to give you an example of this where, boy, if I had listened, my child's trajectory would have been vastly different. My son was at school learning French and we were in Canada at the time, so it was important that he know French. And his teacher informed me that he was not good at languages and I should put him into a direction where he didn't have to use language. He didn't have to learn French. And I thought that was that was very harsh and, and very um, condemning kind of thing. You know, it was, it, there was no flexibility in what she was saying. As luck would have it, we were moving and we moved to another country. When we got there, first thing that happened was he had to learn Mandarin Chinese. You can imagine my thoughts on the subject. I was a little concerned because of what this teacher had said. But here's the crucial part. I decided not to say anything and I decided not to step in, but to let him see what he could do. And boy, could he do it. He learned Mandarin Chinese like a champion. He was doing, you know, uh, team quizzes and he was even dreaming in Chinese in a few months. Like he was incredible. He is now fluent in seven languages. He's a linguist. He has his PhD in linguistics. And I would never have known that he could do that if I'd listened to that teacher. So the whole point to that story is what could you be missing if you listen to other people's opinions of what your child can do? No wonder kids get anxious. They get a lot of pressure from different directions for how they should be doing things, what it should look like, and when they should do it. You know, it's it's awfully tough. Think back to your own teenage years. What did you want to do that you weren't allowed to do? What did you want to do that people didn't think you could do? Practicing trusting your child and letting them know that you trust them is really key. It also helps to keep communication going with your kids. If you let them know that I trust you, I know you've got this, I know you can do this, and you're open to them coming to you and saying, what, what should I do here? Don't make the decision, even though they asked you. Ask them what their thoughts are, and then if you have a couple of options to lay out, you could do that and then ask them again, which one looks good to you, or do you want to try something else? But keep reflecting it back to that child, because this is one of the most important muscles they will ever build is the decision-making muscle. And being able to make strong decisions will help to reduce anxiety and reduce that sort of nervousness of going into a new situation. If they feel that they can rely on themselves to make good decisions, then they're going to make good decisions and they're going to feel good about that. So think about the consequences of what you're going to do before you do it and encourage them to do the same. So this means, you know, instead of offering solutions, ask questions, ask them for their opinion. And, you know, whenever a child of whatever age says, I don't know, a really good response to that is, okay, but if you did know, what would the answer be? And when you change it like that, there is an inclination to find an answer. It's a, it's a natural trick for the brain is, you know, okay, but if you did know, what would it be? And they look again, you know, I don't know is sometimes a, mm, I don't want to think about this or I, I can't be bothered to think about this. So 
Look at the conditioning that's already there. If you want to use human design to find out more completely where it's sitting, where it's hiding you, where it's keeping you small, and learn to offload that, human design is a great way to do that. That's why I use it all the time. So having said your teenager needs to make decisions and you're asking your child to make more and more decisions as they get older, I would like to be clear that that doesn't mean that the child gets to do whatever they want to do. You establish some ground rules, you have boundaries, absolutely. So things like hygiene, good manners, communication with respect, these kind of things might be ground rules in your household. And there are consequences when those rules are breached. That's called having good boundaries. But that is another muscle for the child to learn, right? Decision-making is the number one, however. As another point I'd like to bring in here, because this does provoke anxiety in a lot of teenagers particularly, is when you treat the child or the teenager as a friend rather than your child, and you tell them your woes, particularly if there's a divorce or something. Telling all of these adult things to a teen is too much. They do not know what to do with it, and they become very stressed and very anxious about it and can form anxious attachments later. So bear in mind that that is not something to do ever with your teenager. They might seem mature, but they are not ready for what you have yet. So please don't give it to them. Again, if you'd like to contact me and find out more about any of this or things that weren't yet answered, please come find me at my virtual happy space, gaffinstone.com, or send me an email, mickey at gaffinstone.com, and I will be very happy to answer you there. You can also find me on Facebook anytime you like. I do answer messages and I'm always enjoying the interactions. So if you have any more questions about anxiety, I would love to hear them. And we can talk about, um, oof, let's see, feeling curious and you know, asking the child, what would, what would they like to do? What's their trajectory? Get them to draw their timeline. How cool would that be? What do they see on those stages? If they don't have one yet, maybe they could think of one. It's a good question to ask. And if you haven't got it yourself, ask yourself. Get making some notes. I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Navigating Complicated Relationship Show. Mickey returns Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Until then, remember every relationship is a journey, and with the right tools, you can create stronger, more fulfilling connections.